Hi there. You're listening to Runelanders. I'm Adam, your host and dungeon master, otherwise known as DM Runewise. You can find me on Twitter at Tombonac or follow the game at Cast the Runes. Hi, I'm Sean, and I play Master Locke Calder, purveyor of the finest curiosities and small wonders. And hey there, I'm Shauna, and I play the indomitable Magma, Sun Soul Monk. If you're just joining us, welcome to Rune Landers. I think you're going to like it. And if you're coming back, well, welcome back. We got lots more in store for you. But before we get into that, we're going to go over what we did last time. And, you know, fortunately enough, it would happen that I have the two main characters of last week's story here to help us do a recap. So last week, we saw Magman Calder go out and look around the rat problem while Arabet, Ziva, and Nari sat for dinner with Thrasher, the Goblin Crime Lord. Um, well, why don't I let them tell you what happened last time? Well, I remember that uh, uh, Calder was a, a very helpful fellow and uh, and uh, definitely a very responsible uh, drinker. Uh, Shauna, what do you remember? Uh, in specific, I remember that Magma got girly drink drunk uh, after receiving some very interesting news from a uh, former uh, former gladiator that she was aware of during her career time. Yeah, she did. Girl drink drunk. And I got to tell you, I was really surprised uh, how things went after that uh, in terms of how, uh, how Magma recuperated. And I'm really looking forward to more of that. And in the intermezzo, we saw Arabet spend some time with his apprentice, Timote, and learn more about Bailey Mina's seedy underbelly. We uh, finished the episode the next morning with uh, Calder and Magma's deepening friendship showcased yet again. Next, uh, we're going to get to some, uh, well, some fewer, some listener feedback. And uh, this week, we're going to feature Curse of Sebs. You can find him at Curse of Sebs uh, over on Twitter. And uh, he had this to say about us this week. Yeah, so just uh, it's so exciting to be hearing from you guys, and uh, we we look forward to hearing from more of you. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at @castthe_runes, uh, or you can e email us at runelanders at gmail .com. And we uh, we promise we'll read everything that comes in uh, and respond to as much of it as we can, and uh, we'll read some of the best stuff uh, on the podcast. So uh, here's Curse of uh, Sebs uh, talking about uh, uh, catching all the way up to episode six this week. Uh, he posted at Cast of the Runes, no, I'm all caught up, but it's not Friday yet. I cannot accurately describe how much I'm loving Runelander for Scallions. The world is magnificent and fascinating. The DM and storytelling are sublime, and the cast are phenomenal. This is seriously something special. And wow, thank you so much. That means a lot to us. Uh, it's really fantastic to, to hear that we're putting out there is being received in such a great way. Uh, and we really hope uh, that, that uh, you're going to get uh, a lot more fun out of this and uh, wait for our next episode because there's lots more great stuff coming up. So as a matter of fact, uh, Curse of Sebs there had uh, followed up with his initial comments or their initial comments to say, I cannot recommend Cast the Runes, Runelanders, Rapscallions more strongly. 
Runelanders Rapscallions is an incredible homebrew podcast with a somewhat Western, Eberron, and almost Peaky Blinders feel with incredible storytelling and roleplay. Content warning, of course, for assault, sex work, referenced, mild sexist language. It's, you know, it's honestly pretty cool being compared to Peaky Blinders. So thanks very much, Sebs, for uh, throwing that out to us. Um, having watched the Peaky Blinders series, yeah, it's pretty cool. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Sebs. It's good to hear from you. Uh, reach out to us, drop us an email, and we'll, uh, well, we'll work something out where, uh, Maybe you won't have to wait till Thursday or Friday. Anyway, drop us a line. Anybody listening, we'd love to hear from you. Feedback, comments, criticisms. Keep it constructive and we'll take it to heart. Um, all right. Well, that's got our viewer mail. That's the recap. I'm RuneWise. These are the Rapscallions. So get ready, Runetics, and let's roll. Ziva Pate pulled Ziva's gig along the length of Feather Street towards the distillery district just up next to the yards. This is a lot of, well, as the name would suggest, brewers, distillers, alchemists, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, from chemists and pharmacy shops on the corner to great big industrial buildings where Water is filtered and, you know, things are warehoused. Um, the streets are a constant mess of wagons and these big steam-powered trucks which get in behind horse-drawn wagons and clog up the road. So um, Pate being a one-horse, thin little gig, manages to kind of lane split and you ride right up the middle of the street until you come into a big plaza on the southeast corner of which sits the Burley and Took Brewery. It is a wide, short, fat building with, um, you know, a cheery sign out front, uh, handmade and carved out of wood, newly hung on the building, which appears to be in pretty decent repair. Even though other buildings, uh, leading, like backing onto this particular waterfall, have fallen into some disrepair. This place looks like it's been picked up and cleaned up and renovated. Pate pulls into the parking area and stops. You get out and there's a door with, you know, there's a sign in the middle with, you know, softly thrumming thomic light. And it says open. 
and there's another sign beneath it just floating in like you know slight hologlyphs advertising their hours today they're open until nine okay so like how are we playing this we're just being like super obnoxious right Yeah, acting like a, a couple of uh, wealthy aristocrats that uh, don't need to care about the little people, I suppose. Just stacked real snobby. Okay, so we're like wasting their time. Yeah, yeah, just sort of out. Uh, well, we're out on the town, right? So, I mean, I mean, yeah, just well, be, just be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> she just kind of. <laughs> she gives him a dirty look and then she sort of smooths back her hair and he takes his arm and pulls him inside she'll kind of look around uh, just immediately start talking about everything she's seeing about the place and what she thinks of it okay so the front of house here has been uh redesigned from its old like it, it by the look of it you would have said it was a machine shop before right because there's still a lot of the old fixtures and you know big gears which are uh, like gear shafts which go through the wall and now you know lights hang from those and the feeling of the gas lights is all very industrial and and rugged and uh the place is you know it's been decorated in a modern style, but a retro modern style, if you know what I mean. It's not up to the minute. It's 30 years ago, which makes it trendy now. It's really interesting style that they went for here. I don't know. It could grow on me or it could not. I think it's delightfully quaint. You would. Yeah, and I'll sort of like glance around and see if there's any staff. There is a woman sitting at a reception desk uh, in the doorway of, an, of a room that you can see behind her is uh, like there's a bunch of desks and that sort of thing with halflings sitting at them the desks are all halfling size so there's twice the number of them as there would be in an office where these people you know human sized and uh they seem to be filling orders and you know tapping their spell phones and uh, listening you know tapping their ears for their spell phone receiver and uh yes barely and toque you can hear all that sort of thing there's a bit of typing and pages being settled and like the low murmur of people talking, not wanting to disturb anybody else. Several conversations going on in the room. But the woman who sits in the behind the desk in the doorway of this room is a halfling woman of, oh, early maturity, we'll say. Um, she's pretty, like, she, she's, she looks to be the sort who's been married for a while, has had a few children, and uh, does this because, you know, she's got all her other shit down so she can make a living too, right? She helps. 
Um, she has that air about her. Her hair's done up in a beehive. She has like very, she projects a very competent air around herself towards you as you approach. She adjusts her glasses, which are, you know, on a chain and, uh, you know, puts down her nail file as you come in. She goes, welcome to Borley and Took Brewery. How can I help you? Good evening, my good lady. Um, we're actually in the market for a special keg of beer. We have a ceremony we're planning, and we'll need uh, we'll need something something a little better, a little higher grade to make it worth everyone's while. Well, I'm um, I'm the office manager. Uh, so, unfortunately, the technicalities of the beer aren't really my area. But if you'd like to wait in the bathroom, I can have Miss Took come and see you. That would be splendid. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yes. Let's go. Yes. I think a trip to the bar is just the thing. All right. So, you go into the bar, and behind the bar... The bar is a standard size as you'd find in any around in any tavern around Bailey Mina. But uh, the stools have rungs going up the side for people who are three feet tall. And the bartender himself is a halfling of oh early adulthood, probably only 19 or 20. Here's the thing. It's Mickey from that gang of bad guys that you've been looking into. Well, Ziva is dressed a little differently than usual, and she was dressed a little differently that time that they met him, so she's going to fake it and pretend really, really hard that she does not recognize him at all. I'll swagger up to the bar and, uh, Hoist myself up on a stool, uh, uh, looking around. Ah, nice place. I like the decor. Thank you, sir. We're uh, we're quite proud of it. We uh, we're a, we're a breed of people who do what we can with what we have. We're very proud of this place. What can I pour you? Ooh, give me something I've never had. He stops and he side-eyes you for a second and uh, looks at you closely. He says, you've got purple eyes, miss. I'm sorry to be so forward, but I can't help but notice they're quite striking. Have we met before? I'm going to lean in. And with a friendly smile and a bit of a raised eyebrow, say, uh, that's my sister, sir. Oh, nothing inappropriate, sir. Of course, no. Certainly not. I, I apologize wholeheartedly. Can I recommend, uh, you look like a man who likes a good lager. Can I, uh, can I interest you in our old burdock lager? I think I would like a sample of that, yes. Thank you, sir. I get... Why don't I get you a flight of beers and you can tell me which one you'd like to have a full pint of while you're waiting for my cousin and partner. That sounds perfect. That 
does sound good. Okay. So um, without further ado, Mickey goes and starts pouring out these beers, and pretty soon he has 10 different flavors, five for you and five for Ziva. Oh, I'm, I'm enthusiastically uh, enjoying them. Uh, possibly a little too fast. Out of nervousness. Well, yeah, yours are gone pretty quick, but the wheat amber, or sorry, the uh, the wheat ale, is particularly good. And so you uh, you pause a moment, sipping on that. That's that that's probably the one you're you're gonna go well with if you uh, if you're gonna grab a growler before you leave, because why not? It's good beer, right? Good beer is good beer, and everybody likes good beer. Yeah, I'm just sipping mine very carefully and sort of making a show of like savoring and uh, analyzing the flavors. Well, this wheat ale is, uh, you know, it, it reminds you of the rye bread that, or sorry, it, it reminds you of the bread from that bakery you know the one where you get the croissants with the clotted cream and the you know and and the, the good oh. bailey mina fog oh, i haven't been there in so long yeah nari's just been there in the last couple of weeks in fact he dropped by benton stitches with some just the other day but you know it, it tastes like that imported high moor wheat you know and it, it like there's everything in this beer it tastes like you know I need you to roll an insight, both of you, while you're having some beer, to taste what's in it. Ooh, I rolled a 19 plus one, so I have a total of 20. I got a 16 total. Okay, so you both get this sensation of a really brisk spring wind. Um, those of you who live in Northern Ontario or the Prairie will know what I mean. It's like uh, that day in the spring where it's been warm for a couple days, but then it drops and it gets prickly cold and you're not quite over the winter yet, but you can still feel it. It's, it's a little bit rude. You know the one I mean? Yeah. Well, there's a little frisson of that when you uh, get to the bottom of your half pint. Definitely going to have her uh, eyeing the place a little more closely. Yeah, this has got you a little bit, uh, a little bit curious now, Ziva. I need you to make a wisdom save, please. Oh dear, that's a uh, a six. Yeah, you, you must know. And the only way to know with alchemy is to sample it, right? Like you don't have a lab, you can't take it apart. This would be, uh, yeah, you're on to something now. And uh, Nari, it's like, a it's like a switch goes off in your sister. And suddenly the debutante isn't really paying that great attention to what's going on. And uh, Ziva the wizard has a sudden and very intense interest in what makes this uh, beer taste like this. 
just another knock on the bar and a uh, circle with her finger is all she says to Mickey. It looks as though the uh, conversation is going to be up to you from here out. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'll just keep on nursing, nursing my beers and uh, making a, make, jotting down a few notes about them. Uh, just, you know, on a little, little scrap of paper, I fish out of my pocket. Yes, you know, oh, okay, this, I like this one. Oh, this, this one's a little bland. Oh, this one's nice. You know, and that sort of thing. Why did you say that one was bland, sir? I'm, I'm just wondering, this is uh, normally reserved for, you pardon my saying, I couldn't help but notice the shape of your ears, uh, a more refined palate. This is, uh, this, but of course, this is our, our, our fairy porter. Oh, I, I, I'm terribly sorry for any offense. I, I meant purely in relative terms. Your other beers are simply magnificent. This one is far and above most I've had. Ah, see, no, I was—I I didn't mean to be sounding like I was offended, sir. I'm just wondering because it's meant to have these nuances that you can only taste with elven blood. And, uh, well, I don't get it personally. I agree with you. I think it's a little bland. But uh, I'd hope someone with uh, your... Ah, geez, you know, that's indelicate. Uh, you know what? I've got something for you. And, and for your good sister, to make up for my faux pas. Normally, I don't pass this out to anybody, but we're starting a distillery, you see. And uh, we've got our first run of rum, if you're interested, sir. Oh, I'd be light, delighted to try a sample, and I'll look over at Ziva and say, and perhaps just the smallest taste for her. Unfortunately, there's one serving size and you see why in a minute. And with that, he goes and he gets these snifters. Now, normally you don't drink rum out of a snifter, right? But he gets the snifters anyway and he pours this beautiful blonde amber liquid. It's about a jigger or so into either snifter and then puts his hands over the top with a napkin in either hand to keep his palms from touching the rim of the glass. Uh, he drops a napkin down over the glass, picks them up gently, and sets them beside the candle for a moment, like the candle on the bar. He waits and like just kind of, you know, digs around in the ice for a second, then uh, takes his scoop and puts two cubes in either glass underneath the napkin which he then hands off to you and to Ziva. Now while you've been gently critiquing the beers, she's been just steadily drinking this you know this northern lager that's given her the this ASMR sensation when drinking it. So like she's just completely forgotten about moderation. She's collecting data at this point. The thing that draws you away from your research into the beer that you're that you've had eight of in the last fifteen minutes um, is this jigger of something with a napkin over it. When you take the napkin off, there's about a jigger and a half of this amber liquid, but there's vapor that comes off it. Now the vapor is this rainbow color as it evanesces. But these colors become pictures. These pictures become forms and the forms move. In each of your glasses, there is 
a warm summer day over the cane fields. And when you sip it, it just tastes like everything good about summer. You know, the pleasant warmth, the, uh, the, the, the warm sun, the clean air, the green trees, the, the sound of water. You can hear that as you have a tiny sip. Even just the tiniest bit takes you somewhere pleasant. You're not transported or anything like that. It's just an overwhelming rush of sensation. Um, Ziva, yours is gone in about 30 seconds. Because, oh, Data! And uh, Nari, you sip yours over the course of a while. It's then that Miss Took makes her entrance. Yes, hello. I'm sorry for making you wait. I, uh, My name is Molly Took. How may I help you, sir? I'll stand up and do a, a, a quick little bow. And Oh, not at all, my good lady. I've been w most entertained here. I hope my cousin hasn't bored you with these uh, long and exhaustive reviews. Not at all. That's exactly why we're here. You see, we're looking for a particularly uh, special high-end uh, beer for a, a ceremony we're planning. Ah, a dedicational beer. Of course. Uh, well, it happens that you're in luck. Burley and Took has the widest range of dedicational beers in Bailey Mina. Excellent. Could you perhaps recommend one for the dedication of a new house? A new residential house or a new house of business, sir? There's a difference. I would say uh, a regular house, but if there's something that could span both, then that would, of course, be welcome. I had, to see, I had to look at that coat, and uh, frankly, sir, you look like a you look like a businessman. If you and wise, I might add, if you're the sort who knows about dedicational beers. So I won't shilly shally with you. You look like a man who wants the best that we can offer. Is that about accurate? Precisely so. Well, if you were impressed with our summer rum. Or oatmeal stout is just the thing for dedicating yourself a good and prosperous home. That sounds like just the thing. Uh, which uh, did I already try that one then? Uh, actually, I haven't. It's in a de it's a dedication, so we don't generally tap the cakes. However, uh, Michael, be so good as to. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name, sir. Uh, Mr. Hulu. Michael, crack Mr. Hulu uh, a bottle of the dedicational oatmeal stout just so he can have a taste. Well, do you think that's wise, Molly, if he knows it's under the stairs after having a taste of it? You know what I mean. It's an expensive thing to have to replace. Michael, just please do as you're asked. And with that, she gives him like this this smile like broken glass, right? It's very sharp and it's very dangerous. And he goes, all right, and runs over to a cold box and pulls out this uh, stubby bottle of beer, which frosts over when he sets it on the bar. He cracks the cap off it and slides it down to you. I'll pick it up and uh, give it a quick little sniff and then a little sip. And then, mmm. 
I like it. It tastes like a good conversation. It tastes like knowing the place so well you could get around it in the dark. It tastes like seeing how the tread on the stairs has worn them and, you know, all the memories of having your whole decades of experience in one place, but like all in the offing, you know, like a beer, a beer it's a beer that tastes like memories about to be. You continue to outdo yourselves. This is well, spectacular. Well, sir, we are known as the best beer in Bailey Mina. I think we... Yeah, I think you are. Siva, the stool just falls out from underneath you. It just completely abandons you and sends you sprawling on the floor. Oh, she'll get up as quickly as possible. Son of a bitch in the stool is standing there like nothing happened either. Very, very tempted to use magic at this point, but not. Um, Mickey has this poker face on him, and uh, Molly has a, a, a neutral expression, but with a slight tilt to her eyebrow, which suggests that she's quite amused. However, you sort yourself out with petticoats and everything. It 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 really is like a like a good old Bernadette Peters or Madeline Kahn comedic bounce you know you fall off the stool and back in your feet boing right she's trying to keep her dignity um yeah okay so like that was good and I like I need more of this stuff too a whole lot of this send that to my house Well, when would you when would you like it delivered, then, Mister Hulu? Ah, as soon as possible, really. We'd like to get the ceremony underway as uh, as early as we can. Well, to what area of town will I be? Will we be delivering? It will uh, change the schedule. And I'll I'll give them the address. It's uh, oh, I can't remember what I had it written down. That's yeah, I'll tell them the address. That's about six blocks away from Copperpenny Road, right? We have a delivery, the uh, the Orc Spot over on Fish Street. Uh, tonight, it's supposed to be there for nine o'clock. We can have the keg delivered to yours by... Oh, geez, we don't... Uh, you know what? I'll have my cousin deliver it personally. After supper, say, 8.30? That would be perfect. All right. Uh, wonderful, then. We'll, uh, who's your factor, then? And we'll arrange for payment. Or would you prefer to pay cash? Um... I'll uh, pay. Uh, I have the money for the for the beers we've already had. I'm afraid I'll have to uh, have the complimentary paperwork ready. Those are complimentary with the dedicational with the dedicational cakes, sir. Uh, the keg itself is going to cost you fifty dollars in gold. 
Ah, excellent. Uh, do I have that on me? It'll clean you out, but yeah, you got 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll pay up then. So you Just drop a bag on the table. Uh, well, it, it's a bag with about 20 in, in uh, singles and fives and uh, a roll of notes for the rest, right? Like a couple of deuces and a, a, a five, you know, to 20. It's, a, it's, it's like a couple of notes and a little bag of gold. Or sorry, to 50, right? But anyway. I'm going to also buy some more of that beer that I was studying. Well, that case or that keg is only thirty gold, which I believe I have. Oh shoot! I don't have any money on the sheet for some reason. I'm sure I've got money. You've got money for sure, but uh, Molly's like Molly looks at at. Uh, she looks at you and she's like, yes, I, I can see that you do, ma'am. Um, would you like me to put a second keg on for cash on delivery, sir? As you've already paid for this one. Yes, thank you. Uh, all right, then. We'll have those by at uh, maybe eight o'clock this evening, then. Splendid. Thank you, ma'am. You've been most helpful. Certainly, but I really must get back to it. So please... Um, don't hesitate to ask Michael to pour anything for you that you'd like. Well, I think, looking over at Ziva, I think we should probably retire back for some, uh, some supper. What do you think? Oh, supper, yes. I'm so hungry. I'll chuckle and sort of help her off the stool and out the door. <laughs> She's going to walk carefully and as soberly as possible. Which is to say probably not very. Fantastic job, Ziva. You could fool a judge. I mean, like, you really should have gone into theater with this prowess of keeping it together. You are a yeah. master of self-control and discipline, a master necromantrics. You can walk this 20 feet across without looking like your host. Ziva, you mount the carriage with your usual grace and aplomb. Nobody can tell you're drunk. You've totally got this. It's fantastic, right? <laughs> You've done this a hundred times. So like Nari, after about the fifth time, she can't reach the, the stirrup to get into the gig. You kind of take her by the ankle and, put her foot on the step and, you know, then give her a shove up by the petticoats into the, into the carriage. And it's this unceremonious dump into the, into the seat where she's having a good laugh, you know, like, and then she's like about a minute and a half, but Ziva, like you, you've not only do you climb into this carriage with your usual grace and aplomb, you, your, your voice is like sunshine and music as you just, you, you know, speak the word to get Pate going. But um, you're probably going to have to tune him up because he doesn't listen for a few. And, uh, you know, then, you you know, you try telling Nari a good, a good story. But uh, for some reason, you're, you're speaking Deadlander when you do it. 
right? So he's kind of ignoring you, which is rude. But anyway, um, it only takes about a minute. He doesn't seem to be impressed. It's kind of embarrassing for him, actually. So you decide not to say anything about it and uh, drive away. Nari, it takes her about a minute to get the horse going. But when she does, it trots off home. Well, I figure if I, since I work for uh, you know a, a wealthy law firm, I'm probably pretty used to loading uh, drunks into taxis. Yeah, without question. Reminds me of law school. So we're going to wrap that scene with, you know, Ziva kind of hanging on to the side of the carriage, looking out, the, looking out, trying to keep her eyes focused on one spot and one point in space so she doesn't get the spins, and Nari quietly chuckling as we rattle along the crowded and misty streets of Bailey Mina. Yes, hello. Are you hungry? Well, holy smoke, come to Jihad's Bronze Tusk. Number one borscht, number one fish salad, number one beer, all of Belimina. Why not come tonight? Bronze Tusk's Rusty Axe, 13 Fish Street in the heart of the Copper Penny Road Entertainment District of Belimina. This week featuring two for one fish salad and Took's Blogger, the best beer in Belimina. That's Bronze Tusk's Rusty Axe, Copper Penny Road, Belimina. Arabit and Mr. Stitch. You've accompanied the Hulu kids to the brewery, and as described, it is a uh, long, wide building, short, um, backing onto a waterfall in a neighborhood that climbs a precipitous slope along a road. Uh, it's misty and kind of dark because, uh, let's face it, you're at the bottom of a freaking waterfall. There's a big towering cliff right there. Um, so you're standing in the shadow of the cliff and, uh, you can see that there's lights on within and as you get closer, it, it's a, it's a homey sort of atmosphere. Along the one side is a wide yard with a bunch of, uh, you can see posts to tether ponies and horses and, uh, a couple bays for parking those new big steam carriages that, uh, people have been hauling things around the city in. Like, there's bays there, but none of the telltale signs that any trucks are actually ever parked there. But anyway, as uh, Nari and Ziva make themselves welcome in the front, you guys kind of mooch off along the side of the building and keep behind a bunch of barrels and, you know, parked carts and whatnot, avoiding notice and trying not to get in anybody's way. At this particular hour of the day, uh, most of the yard staff is... Uh, sitting in their break rooms out around the yard, there's these little, uh, just little shed-like buildings with uh, gas lights and a table and, you know, a sink. And a, there's a shitter on the back of the place. You just, it's all plumbed into the city, pl to the city plumbing. The place is pretty well set up. But as you go walking around the back of the place, you see that where it butts up against the cliff... There's probably a 15-foot margin there, and it's gotten all choked with weeds and all this, but the weeds are popping up through cobblestones. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. You go mooching down that particular bit and uh, climb over a bit of cheesy fence that says keep out and find a completely disused side door. 
Now, Arabet, you're a genius with the tools. So this side door comes open silently, as if it sound like as silently as if it was new, despite the fact that when you open the door, there's a visible warp in it. So well done. Uh, it leads to a small antechamber, which has a door barred from this side, easy enough to open. A quick peek through the keyhole shows a barrel room. You and Stitch let yourselves in to the barrel room, and I'll give you the scene from there. All right, uh, <clears throat> now what? We're inside. This is exciting, isn't it? Yes. Yes, Stitch, this is what I live for. I say we move on. All right, just, just, I'll watch your back. You, you, you go forward. You'll be fine. Okay, let's uh, sneak uh, up a uh, ways and see if we can get past all these barrels. Okay, so the two of you slink along, silent as mice, amidst the dusty quiet of the barrels. You can hear halfling voices laughing and joking indistinctly up ahead. And uh, when you breach the center lane of the barrel room, you can see that the uh, it just leads down to, again, what appears to be a break room. And it's uh, got a bunch of halflings in there laughing and joking with each other. Um... Just, just, well, actually, I shouldn't say a bunch, just a few of them, right? Uh, these guys are, like, taking their hats off and hooking them on pegs, and, you know, you get the sense that they're, they're just getting there. So, back to you. What are they saying? Can you please roll a perception check for me? It's a total of 17. Okay. Well, um, they're not really speaking common, but uh, from, the, from what you hear, you get the sense that, um, you know, they're laughing and joking amongst themselves. Uh, the tone of the one guy's voice is clearly describing something, uh, something of massive proportions. Because it's like, you know, in much the ways you'd say a giant mountain, right? Like he really leans into it as to make it sound big, and uh, you know, you catch glimpses of him through between the barrels. But uh, you know, he's making wide gestures with his hands to indicate something big, and then everybody just laughs, right? Clearly, it was like the punchline of some joke, and it was uh, politely received, right? The whole exchange has the tone of a guy who told a joke and kind of failed to stick the punchline, and everybody gives him a polite pity laugh. Uh, just a, a good effort sort of thing, right? Can I count voices? You count three. 
We'll slink away from them. All right. So you, uh, you know, you're slinking along, sneaking through the barrels, the rows and rows of barrels. You see that some of these barrels have writing in common, some in Dwarven, some in Orcish, some in what looks to be Elven script. And uh, they all, like, they're all well organized um, in this basement, essentially a basement beer cellar um, by types, like lager, English, lager, orcish, lager, you know, elvish, lager, dwarvish. In various sections and various types, and, you know, the signs are all in common and in dwarvish. Which is the script that the halflings use? Hold on, Bets. I just want to take a quick whiff of the area. And I, uh, I sniff the area to see if... I, I know I'm going to get a waft of alcohol and brewery and yeast, but is there any other smells that, uh, that, that seem familiar? Well, it's thick with the smell of halfling, right? And uh, like you can smell at least a dozen individual living scents and the whole place frankly has a real undercurrent of rat oh, I think we might hit the mother load what do you mean stitch it smells like rat everywhere here I can smell the fur the feces ugh you can smell the fur, yeah, you can hear the, uh, you, you, there, there's just a sense as a cat, sort of, like as a cat, a feline being, I should say. I gotta stop calling you a cat, because you're not exactly a cat. You're, uh, uh, yeah, well, as a felid, there's just this sense that you have when prey is about. You know, you do eat a lot of meat. You can have vegetables and grains and stuff, but uh, they're not really the best for you, and they're kind of screw with your digestion a bit, right? The more meat you eat, the better you feel. You're almost a you're almost a carnivore, um, but not quite. Anyway, you, you, you just oh. get a sense when those sorts of things are around. I apologize. Didn't mean to step on your toes there. Please carry on. It's okay. I, 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 I don't know what to do here, Betty. I, it, it smells like rat everywhere. Quite frankly, I'm hungry, but it, it's, it's... Maybe we should go. I, there's too many of them. I count three. I smell more. All right, Stitch. Go with your nose. And then there's some noise from out in the center, like towards the center of the building, uh, like a tumble of uh, barrels coming down and a bunch of swearing and some laughing and, uh, oh, yeah, good one, that sort of thing, right? Stitch, we we gotta get a number on these guys. Well, we gotta know what they look like at the very least. So, all right, go ahead, bet. I got your back. You go take a. 
We push forward very quietly. Only Stitch's big golden eyes really visible at most of the time, because I'd imagine that Bet has his hood up and his mask over his nose, right? So just stalking along in the, through the dim, two shadows in the gloom. And you look out into the main room, and it's a, it's a loading room. There's a big uh, wide doors of a ship's hatch um, in the ceiling above, from which come down loads of kegs on like a, a crane lift system, right? They go down, like these skids are brought down on a, rigged up to a crane. These guys seem to be unhooking them and then rolling them along a conveyor system to finally park them where they, you know, where they, or where they're supposed to go. Industrious buggers, eh, Stitchy? How long have they and been here? They've got so many fucking kegs okay. everywhere. They're stocked for like a hundred years in this place. I think we got ourselves an infestation. As you peek into this large open area, you can see that uh, while the room itself, the, the task room, is uh, fairly dimly lit, like just well enough so that you can read what's on the barrels, you don't need a lot of lights down here, you don't need a lot of heat down here, that sort of thing. Um, but there's like a big bright square of light in which stand like half a dozen other halflings and one of them is uh, shaking, is like under the runes of a broken keg and uh, in rat form and he stands up and he's really pissed off and he's soaked and he's shaking, out, shaking things off and as he stands up onto his two feet, you know, he changes back into halfling form and he's really pissed off and he's, like, you know, yelling at a couple of, the, he's yelling at a couple of the other guys who are laughing at him and then uh, this other halfling comes up and he's like all right listen we can't be having that sort of thing that was a whole fucking keg of beer that's coming off of your paychecks you slobs and you keep your fucking fur in the inside of your skin yeah all right it saved your life but come on man what if we'd had clients by you got to think about it and by the way the rest of you be careful, not everyone's a senior is Sean there. Go find a towel. Actually, Sean, take the rest of the fucking day off. You're good, mate. And the uh, were-rat known as Sean just goes fucking cursing off into the corner and, you know, grabs his jacket off a peg and starts heading for the side door. Do, uh, well, Bets probably see, sees this a little better than I do, but do we recognize any? Well, you would recognize several of these guys as being part of the mob that made you let go of Mickey the other day. Oh, bet. and, and um, how many are there altogether? Like nine altogether or six? Well, there was six that you originally saw and another uh, three have filtered in and you can still hear those guys in the break room, those first guys in the break room. Oh fuck, bet it's it's like a is it a hive? I don't know what it's called. A nest, a rot, a a, 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 a nest, a nest, a nest. That's uh, it's it, it's it's a warren. A fucking warren. Let's get the hell out of here. 
Can I help you guys? We slowly turn. And there's like this 17-year-old halfling kid with a beer in one hand and a sandwich in the other. Like he's just swallowed a bite of the sandwich. And uh, he's looking up at you with big saucer eyes like, holy shit. What the fuck are you two guys doing here? Sneaky fucking halflings, man. Bat. Bat. I uh, take out my silver dagger and slash his th This guy falls onto his back, whereupon Stitch and Arabat are on top of him, damping out the sound. In Arabit's case, with an e with a rag soaked in ether, quickly retrieving Arabit's ever-present sack for burgling things with, they load the supine halfling into the sack and make haste for the side door. Mooching along the same corridor that they used to get into, the factory they jump the fence towards the front of the building and uh sort of easily leak out onto the sidewalk as though uh you know just they might have turned a corner and suddenly come into view and they walk nonchalantly for a little while until they get far enough away that they can hail a cab and take the long way home back to you gentlemen taxi taxi <coughs> Oh, oh, hey, oh, ah, there we go. Here, hold on a second. We'll just load this in. It's a heavy bucker. Stitchy, he's bleeding. He's bleeding everywhere. Oh, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. It's, it's, it, it, it'll soak up. The bag will soak it up. It's fine. It's fine. Where to? Uh, down the street, uh, six blocks that way, and uh, around the corner, and I give him. An address that's yeah, the, the direction yeah, is to about a block away from where you're going. And he uh cracks the he cracks the whip and the horses uh sorry, he cracks the reins and the horses uh just tick and just take off. Now this is a more normal acceleration than you've seen with Ziva's gig. Speaking of whom, you take your third left on the long way home, and it just so happens that since they're taking the direct route you cross paths, and she goes jolting along in her gig right in front of you, and she appears to be just hammered. Um, you take the cab on a circuitous path through the, you know, the various dockside neighborhoods. There's, you know, fishing, re fishing tackle repair, fishing tackle sales, like hoisting companies and shipping companies, and in amongst these are restaurants and like, all of these buildings kind of pile atop each other as they all slope down to the Firth. And in between them, the streets are, like, cut in by runoff, you know what I mean? Because the city is always flowing with water and everyone, in some way, shape, or form, like, the gutters are always running with the rivulets. The, the center of the street may be bone dry, but there's always water running down the gutters, you know what I mean? And the city is built with this in mind. Um, the streets themselves are kind of ingenious because they're cobblestones that 
make it harder to roll downhill and easier to go uphill by giving you better traction. You know, uh, nowhere else in the Empire, evidently, do these streets exist. But here in Bailey Mina, here they are. Um, the problem is, it's jolty as hell. And so, like, when you're partway home, the, uh, there's a low moan that comes from the sack in between your feet. Bet, 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 hold on, hold it. I'm just going to reach into the sack and just make sure he's okay. He's, oh, Jesus, look at all the blood. Why didn't you say anything about the blood? And there's like a, this big halfling fist comes out and just punches you right in the eye. And, uh, you know, like there's a big struggle and these hands come out and he's trying to get out of the sack and, you know, kicking and punching and... Grab him, grab him. Hold him down, hold him down. I am holding him down. And then he's up in the corner and he springs out and, you know, grabs Arabet by the ears and gives him a big old Bailey Mina kiss right in the center of the forehead. Gives him a good stinger, sets him back before, you know, reaching over and grabbing the door handle. And, you know, the door swings open. The halfling goes to jump out just before Stitch's long, you know, multi-jointed fingers unfold and grab him by the torso entirely and then pull him back, black, back in in this big black claw. I, uh, I put my paw over his mouth so it muffles the sound and kind of look towards the front of the carriage. The uh, coachman's like, hey, keep it down back there. Jumping out's only going to get you height in this neighborhood. It's, it's okay. Everything's okay back here. I'm okay. We're How sorry. We're sorry. Yeah, I still count three of you. Listen, if I've got a mess to clean up, it's going to cost you extra. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, bet, pay the man extra. I sneak out of gold and hand it over. Just, like, stick it through the... Sh- like, we'll crack the shade a-, a touch and stick an extra gold out, right? That's the whole ride over again, so... You know, that, that should probably do. And so now, with halfling in hand... Uh, Bet and I will probably lean over top of him and just give him a little bit look over and go, all right, halfling, it's okay. It's okay. You know, we're not going to hurt you. You're just a little pet to me. Look at you. I'm going to name you Petey. You're going to love it. We're going to take you to a nice place and, and find you a nice bed. And I'm going to remove my hand from your face. But if you make a scream or you try to run, I'm going to fucking eat ya. And his eyes get, like, even bigger, and he kind of nods like he understands, you know, and, and uh, you know, just, just, just sits back and relaxes and kind of takes the sack down around his waist. Is that okay? He keeps, like, looking at you like, is that okay? And then he gets his feet out, and he makes like he's going to sit on the bench, and then he goes to jump out again, and this time it's Arabet who grabs him, and it's by the hair, right? The big silver knife right next to his ear, and Arabet says, Now settle down, or Stitch will eat you. Yeah, he said that. It's Buddy, by the way, not Petey. None of us give a fuck, and I put the rag over top of his face and put him to sleep. And I'm upset. I'm very pleased to eat you. Oh, I'm very pleased to eat you. 
Rapscallion's Manor has been freshly renovated on the first floor where you're all sitting around a stylish new dinner table, which Ziva had walk itself in upon delivery earlier that day. Uh, around this table are six chairs, one for each of you. Each chair is slightly different. There is, for instance, one with a high back and a big round seat, as though it were a combination cat bed and chair. There is another which is ornately carved with, you know, beautifully scrimshawed skulls. Clearly, this is where Ziva would sit. Across the table from that is the intricately carved with glyphs that look with fairy runes that look like glyphs and in the style of interwoven thorn branches without the thorns of course at least none that point out would be nari's chair there is a mid jessaminian period antique which sits just to the right of one side of the head of the table um this in itself is a a curiosity because these are highly prized pieces and all but two of them belong to the royal family. This appears to be Calder's seat. There is a fifth seat, which is plain, just a plain, sturdy, comfortable black chair. And this belongs to Arabet. Finally, there is a seat of petrified wood, you know, the kind that doesn't burn very easy. It's been sanded smooth and it's very, uh, you know, southeastern Paraduan in style. It's also got that kind of swaying rock that all the chairs there have. There's something about the bottom of the legs. They can sit in place or rock on four legs. They're designed to. There's some kind of hinge. Very ingenious, and it's hard to figure out. But the table is set with elegant dinnerware, and a feast lies down the center. Magma, why don't you tell us what you've prepared for your felonious fellowship? Uh, you know, just a simple one pot kind of stew slash borscht slash gumbo kind of thing that you know is is. I mean, there's two different types. One that is incredibly heavily spiced and you can, it's like you can taste it in the air as she sets it down in front of it, of basically herself and Calder. Um, and then there's like the mid-level spice and then there's the plain has no spice in it whatsoever. And I mean, there's, you know, like a couple of, of you know, like basically like baguette bread with... Um, you know, like a little bit of olive oil and, and, uh, you know, balsamic vinegar just to kind of, you know, as an appetizer. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's, it's Spartan, but it's, it's homey. It's like a home cooked meal. It's all got all these bright colors of the vegetables. You also did up like uh, some fresh bread and, you know, things like that. There's a butter fresh from the churn this morning. You got it off the, uh, well, there's a there's a dairy down by the docks. You got it on your run this morning. It was uh, 
you know, it all smells so good and all so fresh and well-made. And uh, for a moment, you just stand there in the room where the hearth has a fire in it crackling heatlessly. I mean, it is the summer after all, right? Um, but it adds a nice ambiance to the room. And you just kind of sit out there and watch the uh, self-lighting candles wink on as you get close to them. You pull your seat out and uh, let everybody know it's time for dinner. Who's first at the table? I think Zeva's pretty hungry. And uh, also, she's got her own chair with skulls on it. It's so awesome. She has to go check it out. Uh, so she's, she's, she'll check out the chair. Um, definitely approves of it. Has a seat. Uh, sets up her table. And, uh, you know, is, is, she actually looks quite impressed. Uh, the, uh, at the layout. Um, Magma, did you like make all this? Magma kind of looks over at Ziva and nods sort of once very matter-of-factly and says, indeed, I did. It's been quite a while since I've been able to uh, cook something for my for my fellows, so to speak. I don't get much opportunity to do so in the mines. I have not sat down to Emil in, like, so long. Not like this, like, oh, this smells so good. So uh, Calder will walk in, uh, looking a bit surprised. And uh, he says, uh, my, what is that marvelous smell? Yeah, she sort of, you know, using her, her nose and chin motions to his chair and says, well, dinner's on, darling. If you're feeling a might bit peckish, you might decide to join us. I will eat your fucking face! From the back door, the back door busts open and there's some rattling and and, and hollering and you hear this from the uh, back stairs and then there's a big rustling, you know, rattle and tumble and oh, fuck, you think you fucking bit me, fuck! From the back stairs and uh, a few moments later, Mr. Stitch slinks up over to you, Stitch. Oh, hello. Hey. Nothing to see here. Everything's fine. Oh, someone's made dinner. Oh, smells wonderful. There's also the hint of rum, but I'll ask later. Calder will raise an eyebrow at uh, at Stitch, and then, uh, well, that that seems to all be in order. And yes, I I rather am a little old peckish. This is this is wonderful. She uh, sort of motions and sort of, you know, points out like this one is the very super spicy one. This one's sort of the mid-level. It's almost like a potty in your mouth. And this one is, well, I put no spice in it for those of you who can't tolerate the heat. Party in my mouth. Ah, <laughs> Mega, I have to try it right away. So uh, as we're all seated, and uh, I, I have the sense that uh, some of us, say Mr. Stitch, are, uh, you know, basically diving into the food. I'll uh, I'll clear my throat a little. 
uh, friends, uh, a moment, please. And then I'll make sure everyone has uh, uh, their glass topped up uh, and I'll, uh, I'll stand up. Friends, it has been some time for, for me at least since I've, I've had the opportunity to, well, to sit down and break bread in this way. But more importantly, be with, be with people who I call friends. And so, Aegma, thank you for this splendid meal. And as we come together for this first meal in this new house, I say cheers. The toast is friendship. Well said. I take I take a, a drink and then I look at Stitch and I say, you may eat now. <laughs> Thank you. I, I always look to you to know when it's time and he dives in. All right, Stitch. One of the coolest things about this place setting is that there's a proper spoon. Now, the thing is, Tabaxi are not terribly fussy with table manners. Imagine that. You know, it's just as long as it's presented, you can eat with your fingers. Um, but here in the South, people tend to serve things that, like, they get offended when you stick your face in the bowl and drink, right? Even though sticking your muzzle in a bowl is a sure way to get everything out of every crack and crevice, it's frowned upon. So the Tabaxi have invented a spoon, which is about the size and depth of a saucer, right? So that you can dip the spoon, bring it up to your face, and, and you know, lap it off of that. And there's one of those in a, a good a good steel spoon right there by your properly sized and shaped bowl. Knowing it's the size of a ladle, he picks it up and that one little pinky as he looks towards Calder kind of extends as he gives this weird smile towards him. And that's a little bit creepy, especially if we, how we've uh, discussed in the past that tabaxi fingers are much longer than they appear when relaxed. Right. So he sticks his pinky out and while his relaxed hand looks like a paw, he unfolds the last two joints. So it becomes this big beast claw. Right. I, uh, Calder gives uh stitch, a, a, a mildly impressed nod. Well, well done. Well, I have eaten at dinner tables with fine folk in the past, not as fine as the folk that are sitting before me here, but fine folk nonetheless. So, I will do my best. And he kind of raises his brass goblet for a moment and goes, to us, because we're awesome. And with that, Stitch, I'm going to uh, give everybody at the table bardic inspiration for the rest of this session. You're all happy. You cleaned me up. Uh, Ziva will have some of the um, extra spicy kind. Uh, and uh, she kind of raises the glass and... You know, that's a great idea, Ziva, especially since you've been drinking all day. No. I haven't had anything to eat since last night. She so likes go spicy ahead, Go ahead and honk that back. Yeah. It's, it's, she'll just say, um, 
lake. I know you don't know magma, but this food is like a good memory for me. So thank you. And like her hair kind of, but when she says that, her she kind of nods a bit because she's still a little bit pissed. Like it is amazing how much hair Ziva has. It's currently in like an Amy Winehouse beehive. And when she nods her hair forward, there's got to be 15 pounds of hair there. Magma kind of, you know, nods appreciatively to um, to Ziva, although she's she's been oddly kind of silent. Um, and she kind of shifts a little bit in her chair, um, but motions for, for everyone to sort of help themselves and, you know, get into to eating. She does eventually you know ladle herself out a bowl of course of the like super spicy nuclear atomic level of of spice uh but it's only like maybe a ladle and a half she strangely enough sort of looks at everybody else and is like okay does everybody else have food before i do okay good and then she'll she'll eat um she'll eat something and you know she nods to everybody but says uh uh, I don't think I have quite as um, resounding speech for all of you. I'm just happy that we could all sit down to dinner. We haven't had the opportunity, I think, since uh, coming together in this uh, in this place to be able to sit and sort of have that moment of quiet. Is that the term I'm looking for? I'm not entirely convinced it is. Perhaps the word you're looking for is calm. I, I do believe, yes, that would be the appropriate word. Uh, which reminds me, I have I have a few gifts for people. Uh, Mr. Stitch, you already got yours. Um, um, Mr. Calder, yours is, is incoming. I, I have a bit more work to do on yours. Where's, uh, where is Arabat? Uh, I, I don't see him here at the table. Is he downstairs with our guest? There's a great smashing of, uh, of iron from downstairs, like a tumble as of somebody knocking over a, a table of trays or something. Um, Arabat is in the basement. Oh, he sounds like he's working. I'm not going to trouble him much then. Um, if, if you'll, politely excuse me i shall run up to my quarters and bring a small token for uh, at the very least ziva miss ziva and uh, mr nari you're like giving me a present what just a small housewarming gift darling is she sort of dashes up the stairs almost like two at a time, three at a time in some cases. You can hear her kind of rummaging about and then she comes back um, comes back down uh, the stairs uh, and you know sort of almost jaunty like skipping down them in a, in a sense and she puts um, a small box in front of uh, in front of um, Nari and then one in front of Ziva that's been wrapped with a very colorful paper. Oh my god. What? You're... 
you. Well, this is incredibly thoughtful. Dinner was already such a wonderful surprise. Oh, it's just a small thing. Please open them. Let me... Hopefully you'll like them. I was kind of scratching my brain as to what I was going to get you. Just all digging happily. So on the inside of the box that Ziva opens is like purple and black and almost like a silver white um, sort of like tissue paper. And on the inside, there is a handcrafted glass goblet that is in the shape of a skull. Oh, I got it. This is so awesome. When Ziva picks up the goblet and the alchemical glass that's blown out of reacts to her touch and turns black. This is so cool. Yeah, you can see Magma has this huge grin uh, and she's kind of nodding almost very proudly. Is like, oh good, I'm, I'm so glad it worked and I'm so glad you like it. This is like, I'm having like feelings. Oh shit, dick and cover. Shut up. I was just about to say, no, darling, that's the spice. It's probably heartburn, but. Yeah, that's it. It's not, it's not feelings. I'm fine. She uh, turns and looks at Nari and sort of gestures. To, to open his gift as well. I'll uh, take the, uh, like, snip off the string and delicately uh, unwrap the paper without tearing it. On the inside is um, sort of gold and red paper. And when he opens it up further, he sees that there is um, an ink, a glass ink bottle that's empty currently, and a glass pen nib um, as well as um, if he digs just a little bit more he finds a glass uh, basically a wax seal stamp with the the initials nh that are done in an incredibly delicate filigree this is beautiful magma i spend my days helping people find the perfect gift and these are Absolutely inspired. Well done. She you uh, have an arcane focus too, Nari. Sorry, please go ahead, Magma. She, uh, you know, nods to Calder uh, and says, I'm hoping that the gift for you is just as inspired. It's taken me a little bit to finagle my way around it. Great things come to those who are willing to wait. Please take your time. She nods and looks at Stitch and says, has, um, has those tools I made you come in handy yet? I can honestly say, Maggie, I have not used them. I'm sure you'll get the opportunity 
soon enough. Anyways, it's just a small token. It's a housewoman gift. You know, a house is not a house. A home is not a home without something given to you as a sort of a, a, a way of bonding, uh, a way of bringing us all together, aside, especially over a meal. Uh, you are absolutely correct. And a house is not a home without the people in it. Yeah, if not, it's just an empty shell. I feel a warmth amongst you. I might be peeing myself, or it may be something much warmer in the sub. Maybe both. I, I've been known to wet myself from time to time. Either way, this wine is wonderful. And this meal is absolutely spectacular. I, I cannot remember the last time I was able to have uh, a meal here in Bailey Mina, which was uh, sufficiently and properly spiced. This is, it's just super. Is, is that capital spice that I detect? It is indeed, dear sir. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Took a bit of digging to, to find it, but I was able to procure some from, of course, the uh, the winnings from my fight the last time I was at Grenix. So uh, I figured it would be nice to, at the very least, sit down and have a, a decent meal for once instead of eating out all the time. I have to, like, come see you sometime. Oh, Nari, your sister's wine goblet's getting low. Shall I uh, top it up for her? I've had a lot of booze already. I'm okay. Okay, now as she says that, the uh, camera shifts to on the center of the table looking at Ziva, who's leaning over on her elbows, kind of, because like she is, like I said, she's a little drunk. So she's trying to keep it together, but she's kind of slouched forward onto the table. Her huge beehive is uh, silhouetted by the leaded pane glass windows that are frosted and leading out to the street. Beyond them, the light of the day is starting to dim. And, uh, Around her beehive, you swear you can see like almost visible figures with slightly lambent eyes, you know, just ghosting around this big mound of her hair, this tombstone-shaped beehive of her hair. I suspect our spirit summoner has summoned sufficient spirits for the evening. Oh, she certainly has summoned sufficient spirits for the evening, Mr. Calder. Very clever. And the other thing about Ziva is if you've seen the Adams Family movie, there's that scene where Morticia's laying in bed and she's all in shadow except for her eyes. We, we remember that one. Ziva has that effect all the time. You can always see her bright purple eyes as if they're lit like perfectly. It's part of the prestidigitation of her makeup routine. So when she says very clever, those amethyst eyes lock on to you. And like, yeah, she's drunk, but let's not ever forget. Uh, how is the uh, building of the um, new parlor coming along, Ziva? Oh, it's looking really good. 
but I had to take out a lot of walls, and I hate doing that. But like, you know, some of these coffins I have to have on display are so big. Just needed to open up the whole space. I mean, there are some, you know, you gotta have a few in disguise, you know, displays and stuff like that. Gotta let people know what they can look for. But it's good. And I mean, ugh, one of the designers was like, you know, to put skulls on everything. And I was like, uh, I'm about to put my skull into yours if you don't shut up and stop telling me what to do. Like really, like they know better than me, whatever. Magma kind of chuckles slightly and looks over at Nari and then Stitch and then back to Ziva and says, well, you are a woman of very particular taste. I can gather that much. And I'm glad that you were able to partake, of course, of the uh, the super spicy uh, set of food I brought in. Well, I, I don't really talk about it a lot, but like I lived in a swamp for a long time. And I ate food like this all the time. It was so good. Magma's eyebrow kind of raises slightly and she's like, well, that's, that's very interesting. That's not a place I would have thought that you would have traveled, but I'm glad it has broadened your horizons, so to speak. I would say Nari's eyebrow is probably lifted at that too. <laughs> it's like where I learned most of my stuff now. The really, really important stuff about like actually raising the dead it's super hard she sort of looks over at stitch with a bit of confusion and then calder and then nari and says uh, i'm sorry i'm not entirely sure i heard you correctly you said raising the dead it is the thing i can kind of do yeah not like make them alive again really exactly not in the same way not like bringing someone to life that's not a thing i can do but you know i can like talk to people or whatever Yes, I just, I don't know. I never get to talk about the stuff. Everybody's weird at it, so. Oh, make no mistake. We are all quite impressed. I mean, come on, darling. You know that I don't do any sort of magic of any sort of miracles uh, I see a target I punch it I know and I'm like oh it's so amazing what you can do I don't know like it's just 
my whole life, everybody has thought I was super weird and people didn't like me or they had weird ideas about me or whatever. They would misunderstand. And I don't know, I've just always had this interest in like how things work and why they work. Why is it happening that way? And I just want to see inside of everything. I don't know. And so, like, you know, when I find, like, an animal or something that died on the street, and then I would just be super interested in taking it apart just to see why, why like, what happened? You know, why did it do this? Why does this thing connect to this thing? I don't know. It's just interesting to me and I know that's weird but it just is and so like I never really had any friends trust me young Miss Siva that is certainly not weird and amongst the people at this table I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone you might call normal furthermore I think that perhaps for the first time in a long time that you're that you're at home and maybe we could say that for all of us notably arabet is still missing from the table classic betty yeah what's going on oh that's right um I almost forgot, uh, you know, in the excitement of the wine and the spices of the food and the good talk, oh, we've got a rat in the basement. So we decided to kidnap one. Um, first and foremost, uh, we're awesome. I just want to put that out there. That's, that's you know, uh, paramount on everything that we do. Um, but more than this, Betty and I are awesome, which is secondary to the first awesome. Is that that? Yeah, yes, that, that works. You get you get double awesome. Is that what you're telling me? Indeed. So we're doubly awesome. Oh so it, we have a halfling in the basement. It it, it is locked up. As far as we know, it is a were rat. Um, and we figured, you know, maybe we could ask it a couple of questions before whatever it is that's going to happen this evening. Oh uh, yes, uh, we have a delivery showing up. Uh, after dinner, I believe, we should have access to another were-rat. I believe you you already know him. Uh, uh, who? Oh, right, that we guy. Know? Uh, Mickey will be by shortly with, uh, with a cask of ale to dedicate this new house. Oh, uh, what? If... Okay, all right then. If this ruse is going to be maintained, um, I should be nowhere in plain sight when he shows up for the delivery. Oh yes, I, I believe the uh, the plan was for everyone to hide in the basement, and uh, I will lure him down there to question at our leisure. I believe you meant that we should all retire to the parlor. Yeah. Exactly. We're classy in here. Come on. 
So, Magma blinks at everybody and is just like not saying a thing. She's trying really hard to say this with a straight face. So, as you get up from the table, there's a flash from the pin in Ziva's beehive. And uh, as soon as everybody's clear of the table, the dishes all just take themselves to the kitchen and put themselves away. It appears that Ziva hasn't taken her staff of invisible servants back to the parlor just yet. I'd put Jobsworth on it, but he has the night off, unfortunately. I, like, never clean up after myself. Hey, hey, I wasn't done with that pl plate. Oh, no, give it back. And the bowl comes floating on over. Uh, Ziva, it's worth noting that the Unseen Servant conjured by your spell is uh, a magical construct, whereas these are carefully curated, uh, cast day after day after day. Like, if you cast these spells, many spells, if you cast them in the same spot or in the same effect or to the same effect, for a year and a day, they become permanent, right? Dollar's mm -hmm. Tower is one of those. Unseen Servant is another. These things take on a life of their own. Yours are conjured out of urge ghosts. Those uh, things like devotion to duty and uh, pride in craft that survive a person after they die. They're hard to get a hold of. And so when you capture one in a bottle, to use it for the material component for your Unseen Servant spell. Like these things will often take weeks to find one and they're getting less and less common. Um, but they're really good at what they do, right? You put them on a task and they are meticulous about it. You learn all about them in the Deadlands. And in fact, there's a whole cast of that society who devotes themselves to craft just to make the urge ghosts for the spell. Anyway, lest we digress into more civilized times, um, these are living Unseen Servants, and you have four of them as a household staff to go along with your parlor. Let's go deal with this. Yes, let us, uh, let us retire downstairs. With wine, right? Yes? yes. Uh, yeah, obviously. Well, I'm going to, while they're going downstairs, just nod and say, well, I so stay up here and uh, act as the bait and just step into the kitchen and put the kettle on and uh, just make myself a cup of tea while I'm waiting. Magma will sort of wave off any sort of alcohol or anything like that once the dishes are taken and sort of um, head downstairs so that she's sort of out of sight, out of mind, out of view, um, and sort of be closer, I guess, to the, the stairs so she can move about as, as necessary. Okay. Sweet. I think we're just all downstairs now. Except maybe Nari. Nari, are you uh, are you hanging out upstairs waiting for the delivery? 
Yep. Yeah, I'll be just waiting upstairs. Okay. So the rest of you go downstairs and, uh, you know, the dishes all rattle away and put themselves away into the sinks and whatnot. Um, as Ziva's domestic ghosts take over the housework. Downstairs, the uh, basement has re been reinforced with a, uh, well, it looks like a barber's chair. Um, however, it has straps for the ankles and wrists of humanoids from small to large. Um, it's terribly adjustable and uh, it is specifically known as an inquisitor's chair. It sits on the floor in its uh, hydraulic base and with all its controls and levers and stuff sitting ominously around it. Um, and that's the focal point of the room until your eyes sweep over to the wall where there's a long wrought iron chimpanzee or monkey cage uh, in the Victorian and Nouveau style. This thing runs the whole length of the basement wall and stands about eight feet out of the 10 foot basement's height. Um, within there is a mattress, well, a couple of cots really, and uh, a, a bucket, which, you know, we know what that's for. And an unconscious halfling kid who looks to be about mm, 18 or so. Ew, he's so, like, young. Ooh, PT? Yeah, uh, he's a little on the younger side. But that's fine. He's got room to grow. Look at the size of the cage. It's all good. PT? Did he tell you his name? Well, he says his name's William, but I mean, he looks like a PT, so that's his name from now on. Can I keep him? Very well. Across the room from this cage, there is like a, like a room into a door into a cold cellar, which uh, has recently had its enchantments revamped by Ziva. And standing next to that is a wine rack with a decent selection of wines. The opposite corner has crates of beer and uh, shelves with various, you know, tools and implements on them. There is also a collapsible table, which has been collapsed, and a bench along the far wall upon which sit several neatly stacked steel trays. The obvious course of the commotion you heard earlier. Um, Arabet is sitting in the Inquisitor's chair reading a broadsheet when you come down. What do you want to know out of this guy? What are we trying to get out of? Alright, so uh, to make a long story short, when the two of you went in to do whatever it is that you high flute and half elves normally do, Betty and I decided that we would take a little look around the back. And uh, we did. And we caught ourselves a rat. So the entirety, uh, from what we understand of that um, brewery, they're all were rats. Or if not, they know about them. Like, it's a huge conspiracy. And Wait. God knows what they're doing to the beer. Oh. Are you telling me that the brewery 
employs the rats? Well, I I didn't see any money pass hands, but uh, they were working there. Really? My. So many questions that need to be answered. Would you like me to wake him up? I think uh, perhaps we could just wait to see if our other guest will be joining us momentarily. Fine, because I don't think I can wake this one. Arabet looks over his broadsheet and says, Good luck with that, Mr. Stitch. I had to dart him. He'll be out for another two hours. Ah, fuck. All right, fine. Well, all you left was a number four, Mr. Stitch. That's all I had to hand. It's, it's the rag. The rag, remember? You're supposed to go, hey, does this smell like... And then you put it on the face. Remember that rag? The rag trick? How was I going to get my hand through the bars, Mr. Stitch? Well, <sighs> fine. Just use your logic. Darts. And sure enough, the, when you look, the kid is laying face down because there is a little dart sticking out of the skin behind his ear. That's kind of impressive. Which part do you find impressive, Madam Ziva? The fact that we're awesome or the fact that he shot him in the ass with a dart? And again in the neck, Mr. Stitch. Don't forget that. It weak. I don't know, both, I guess. But um okay. So what are we gonna ask this guy when he shows up? Like why are you uh at? I don't know. What are you guys doing? What are they up to? It certainly, has become a, it certainly has become apparent that this rat situation is, uh, well, it's rather significant. And so when Thrasher asked us to take care of his rat problem, I, I admit originally I thought perhaps we could uh, put an end uh, to the infestation. But if, uh, if they're working and living amongst the other halflings, um, I, honestly, I, I just don't think that's going to be possible. So what does that leave us? I, I, I believe what we must do is provide for Thrasher sufficient, sufficient justice for the member of his community who has been harmed. And so I think we, we must find out who has done the harming and ensure that they are properly punished. I do believe we were able to narrow it down to three. There was Mickey, Willa, and Ben seems to be the trio of them that tends to wander. I know they were kicked out of Jaharis's, out of the bronze, to, uh, bronze Tooth, Bronze Tusk uh, establishment not that long ago. Maybe we can get some information out of Mickey if we happen mm -hmm. to get him down here. That sounds like an absolutely grand idea. Yeah, that could work. So, 
With that, Arabet excuses himself to go upstairs and avail the facilities. There's a few minutes where you all get your plan together. Um, Arabet returns and goes to sit on a chair in the corner, awaiting the next thing. And you're making small talk amongst yourselves when there's a heavy knock on the front door. I'll put down my tea and uh, walk over to the door, look out the, uh, look out the window. Well, looking out the window, you'd know you'd never see this guy from the peephole. Um, he stands about three feet tall, and uh, he's a well-dressed young halfling gentleman of ghostwise stock. The one that you know is Mickey. I'll open the door. Ah, welcome. Mickey, was it? Yes, Mr. Hulu. It's nice to see you. Quite a place you've got here. Yes, I'm quite proud of it. It's really come together. Just the one thing left, the uh, the dedication with the cask. And I'll look past and uh, just glance around. Yes, of course. Hey, excuse me. Is is that a Gerardin chair I see? Uh, which, not which snoop, one? Not to snoop, sir, but I mean, I was surveying your door, and I, I happen to notice that uh, it probably won't be wide enough to get the kegs in. Um, and also, I was wondering how you intended to install it, but that's not my concern. I'm just here to deliver your beer, as asked not to uh, critique, but as I was looking, I, I noticed the workmanship of that chair. Is that a Gerardin? I believe it might be. Well, you would appear to have a better eye for these matters than I. Yes, sir. I'm quite a fan of furniture design. It's uh, kind of a passion of mine. Well, you... you uh... In the meantime, you said uh, this this door here is too narrow, you believe? Uh, yes, sir. We we couldn't even stand it on end. The, the, the door is a little too thin. Most times, even in these these direish things, you see, they uh, they leave the back door a little broader. Here, it would be no problem. Uh, but we're a little broad for the front door. And I think taking that sharp curve as soon as you get in, might be a little bit problematic. Do you have a back door? Uh, yes, yes, please, please come in. Uh, we'll, I'll trust your eye to measure these things. I'll send the boys around then. You heard them last, well, away you go. All right, and, and I'll just uh, gesture for him to, to come in, like. All right, he uh, he steps in, the door closes. Um, he goes walking by and he's appreciating the uh, design of the chairs at your table and then of the table itself. And uh, he has all kinds of very technical and astute, you assume, observations about this sort of thing. Now, there is a part of your mind, Nari, which is filing all of these tidbits away. All of these little technical details on chairs, who knows when they'll come in handy or to whom, but perhaps you'll be that person at that time. 
you kind of focus on what he's doing for a minute, his accent and his mannerisms. And, you know, there's that Faborn changeling weirdling part of you, the warlock part that just records it in case. Anyway, these were rare, very rare. This looks like a very plain piece of, of furniture, but I assure you there were only so many of these made in this style by that great master. You can tell underneath, uh, if you pardon my looking, yes, this is original. Whoever your decorator was has exquisite tastes, or I must say. But on to business, shall we? Let's get this keg in the basement. Certainly. If you would uh, follow me, please. And I'll just yeah, lead him to the towards the back door. So, yeah, you get him to the back door and, and he's looking there and he's kind of standing there looking. He goes, turns around and looks at the stairs and he's got his back to you facing down the stairs. And that's when you just give him a yoink and give him a shove. And he tumbles down the stairs in a roll. Now, give him credit. He is fairly agile. He doesn't seem to have hurt himself although it is, it did appear mildly uncomfortable, and he does the staircase in two rolls. But uh, he lands more or less on his feet. He goes, what the fuck was... And then, of course, the rest of you come out from everywhere and grab hold of him. And no matter how he shifts and turns, he still can't overpower you. So you force him into the chair and strap him in, and that's when Magma steps out, and he's like, oh, fuck. And then Stitch. Ah, fuck. Well, young master Michael Burley, I see that you know some of my associates. Yeah, listen. I don't know what you're after us for, but you don't want me, okay? Well... That is yet to be seen. Tell me, Mickey, do you know why you're here? No, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why you grab... Ah, fuck. It's... Ah, fuck. Well, in that case, allow me to extend to you a hearty salutation from one Mr. Thrasher. You work for Thrasher. Oh, no, no, no. We do not work for Thrasher, but we do respect him. And when he informed us of a local problem with the rats, and he asked us to attend to it, we agreed. And that, Mickey, is why we are here. Are you fucking kidding me? That goblin girl, she wasn't... What a... It's about that fucking goblin girl thing. Indeed it is. It is about the goblin girl who has died. Oh, you're fucking no fucking way. She... Oh, Jay's balls. Now, your father, he's a, a man of some standing within your community, yes? Aye, he's the... He's the number one employer of halflings in Bailey Mina. And the halflings in this city, they 
they look to him for care and protection, yes? Well, all over Scotia, really, where would we be without the hop farmers or the yeast, you know, the, the yeast providers? Like, what? where do we get our ingredients? Our beer is made of Scotia. And if someone within your community came to harm, what would your father do about it? Well, he'd say that the right thing was, ah, fuck, I'm going to die, aren't I? Well, that depends. Did you kill the goblin girl? I did not. I didn't even turn her. I turned Willa and then Willa... Ben put me up to it. So it appears that a crime and injustice has been committed and Thrasher, Thrasher must have a price be paid. Is this price... To be paid by you, Michael? I'd rather it wasn't, you know, she's not even my fucking girlfriend. Ben's me mate, see. We were best mates, and he wanted to marry Willa. But you can't marry outside your kind. It doesn't happen that way. And only rarely do we cross over. And Willa wasn't born like, well, not like a protector, right? Not like me and my family. Not like Ben. But I never should have turned her. Well then, it sounds to me as the price to be paid is a debt owed by Willa. Yes? It would solve a lot of problems, but you'll never get through Ben. Oh, I don't intend to get through Ben. I intend you to get through to your father. My father? You're going to let me go and say, so I can go talk to me dad about this? I don't know. Should I? I think that's a wonderful idea. I will roll inside. Don't forget you have inspiration too. I'm going to save that. I rolled 11. It's like 16. He seems on the level, like he's genuinely afraid of what's going to happen to him. He uh, he ratted out, and he couldn't get out of the bindings. He, you know, went to change into a complete rat and just run away, and he couldn't because of your goddamn potions. So, I mean, he's he's stuck in halfling form, strapped into a chair with all kinds of glittery silver shit over on that bench. I know that there's been some trouble, and I believe that trouble may be at an end, Michael. Then I lean in real close, and I just look him straight in the eyes. You are going to go talk to your father, and you're going to convince him of two things. You're going to convince him that Willa must pay the price and that he shall see us to discuss the debt. Now, Michael, I hope we can be friends. I wouldn't like it if we weren't friends. My friends would not make me regret this decision, would they? 
22 on intimidation. And a natural one for an intelligence save. So he absolutely believes you because you're not lying to him. This is 100% legitimate. And uh, he quails. He visibly quails. Like his, his eyes get as big as saucers. And uh, to his credit, he doesn't shit his pants, but he does pee himself a little bit. So uh, <laughs> thank God this is excellent. And he grins a grin that somehow to Michael's eye, there are just too many teeth in his mouth. It doesn't make sense. And then Calder turns around and I make eye contact with the others, especially Magma and Nari. And I'm checking in with them before we, un we untie him. Just silently, just a little eye nod. And I'm looking to see what they, what they, uh, what they have. Okay, now Calder's eyes are not typically golden like that. They're just not, right? They're, they're, they're not that, are they, they're blue? They're blue, they're normally blue. But when he makes eye contact uh, with you, they're, they're like this, this glittery gold coin color. Um, well, Nari, I'm, I mean, I'm going, like, after I give him the shove, I'm going, I guess, back up to, you know, check on the, like, the outside. So, not Nari, but just Magma. I'm just checking with her because you were the end stitch because you guys dealt with this guy before. So, I'm just checking in to make sure that. Uh, right. But my back is to him, so he can't see what's happening. Magma's eyes narrow, almost like she's thinking and almost like there's something is not quite sitting right with her and it's not entirely she's not entirely sure if if it's that that warrior instinct that is telling her something's not quite right or that basically mickey's going to be a backstabbing bastard and is going to basically drop us like a sack of wet shit the moment he gets the opportunity to do so magma kind of narrows her eyes again looks intently back at calder and he can see one of her brows raises a little bit in confusion before she peers around and looks at Mickey and says, I don't think, Mickey, that this has to end here if you don't want it to. We can certainly work together for the benefit of all parties involved, not just thrashers, but yours as well. I understand, of course, that you and your little miss there are intended. I was a touch worried for her because I didn't what know do what you, she How do you is. know she got away from you? You didn't. Did you even see? Oh, shit. That's right. You're down at the docks. Yeah, that's right. You jumped out of nowhere. I remember you. I remember you and your cat. Yeah, we can't find her. Thanks. What do you mean you can't find her? And yeah, since the, that the day, expression she's... on Magma's face literally changes to concern. Yeah, since she disappeared that day, we don't know where she is. We've got the constabulary looking for her. But uh, yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm really more worried about myself at this moment. But until that point, Getting through my day has been agony. So thanks very much. I'm glad I had a chance to see you before I died. For something I didn't fucking do. 
This is bullshit. It was Willa. All right. I'll give you fucking Willa. I'll go tell me da. I'll do what you need me to do. But for Jay's sake, by Jay's, by holy Jay's, would you please just let me fucking go? I didn't do nothing. And with that, he breaks down crying. I look over at Stitch. Stitch is an unreadable monster at this current point in time. He's extended to his full height <laughs> and is just looking down. All right. Fair enough. Very well, Mickey. And Magma looks at Calder and says, we need to have a discussion later. Although she looks at Mickey and says, if she's missing, I'll look for her. The constabulary is a good start, but they're about as useless as tits on a bull. Agreed. All right, Mickey. Look at me. And he does. And what are you going to do? I'm going fucking home and tell me dad exactly what you want to give me a fucking letter. I don't know. Just so I don't fuck it up right down, I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him tonight. Just please let me out of here. I don't give a fuck what you do to Willa, but by Jays, I, can, I can't die here for this stupid fucking reason. I understand that you're bad people, and I'm not one to fuck with you. I'm just a brewer. I was just having fun with me mates. You must believe me. I didn't mean for any of this to happen. I'm just a brewer's son from the Riverlands. You understand that, right? I'm not even born here. Oh, I understand, Michael. And I meant what I said. I want us to be friends. And friends help each other. So we're going to let you go now. You're going to finish your deliveries as per normal. You're going to make sure no one suspects anything until you get home. Then you'll speak with your father. And then you'll send us a note for when and where to meet. Yeah, well, you forgive me if I'm going to be a bit of a businessman in the moment. I know I'm fine. But what are you doing with Buddy over there? He's not even a, he's not even a protector. He's just a ghost wise lad from the from the old country. He'll give you no good at all. I'm hungry. Maggie. Mickey looks hungry too. Maybe you could get us something to eat, please. Oh Jays. Oh holy Jays. No Jays. Scallions are going to find on their doormat in the morning. And on that sinister note, we wrap up episode seven. Hope you enjoyed. Come back next time as More Than One Way to Skin a Rat Part Two continues the advancement of the Rat Scallions Rat Solution. And just so everybody is aware, in terms of our player base and our characters for our Dramatis Personae. Nari Hulu is played by the lovely Eric Martin. Ziva Hulu is played by Shireen, a.k.a. the Mad Fishmonger. Arabet is played by the absolutely wonderful Christopher Stoaz. Mr. Stitch is played by my lovely husband and, and, and dear person, the Mighty Fenris, a.k.a. Corey. Magma is played by myself, and I'm Shauna Mulligan. And Calder or Locke Calder is played by the very humble Sean Yeo. 
Yeah, that's right. So, uh, so very humble. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm uh, I'm always so excited with uh, the music that we have in these episodes, and I'm I'm just so impressed with the time and attention that Adam puts into it, uh, getting just the right song at just the right time and just the right scene. Uh, we have a license to play um, with SoCan, uh, which uh, is how we get all this amazing music. Uh, so a shout out to them. Uh, in this episode for the opening and closing theme, we have You Know I'm No Good by Amy Winehouse. This episode contains samples from The Blood is Love by Queens of the Stone Age, Quest for the Golden Frog by Tom Caruana and the Professor Elemental, as well you'll find In a Sentimental Mood performed by Duke Ellington and his orchestra, and finally La Vie en Rose by Edith Piaf. Thanks, Sean. Runelanders has uh, been written, produced, directed, dungeon mastered by me, Adam Runewise Tambo. Uh, I can be found on Twitter again at Tambonac. If you don't know how to spell that, you can find it at Cast the Runes. I'll answer either. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I never answer that. You can drop us email any one of us, anybody in the cast you want to send kudos or criticisms to at runelanders at gmail.com. Let's hear from you. If you love the cast, tell your friends. If you don't, well, tell us. We'll fix what's wrong with it, if it's possible. That's all I got for this episode. But tune in next time. Until then, I'm DM Runewise. Take good care.